Do you like wrestling trivia? Then check out the five-star match game, the Pro Wrestling Quiz Show. I'm Joe Gagney, and every episode, I grill three contestants with five rounds of power-packed wrestling trivia. We have over 30 evergreen episodes in the archives covering WWE, AEW, Japan, Mexico, and much, 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 much more. Play along at home and check it out today. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hey there, Thunder Buddies and Travelers Down Thunder Road. It's us, Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway. Coming to you as part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your party host, the simulcasting Dave Ryan, and I am joined, as always, by my faithful co-host, Sagar Lee Malone. Lee, how are you this week? I'm good. I'm real good. Are, are you? <laughs> I'm very good. Uh, why wouldn't I be in a good mood? Well, Lee, uh, you've had quite a week uh, of both being sick in the physical sense and in the 24 hours preceding this podcast recording being very sick in the head. I, I didn't do anything wrong. Um, Patreon listeners uh, from a, a largeaboutappears.com will have heard on our live stream from Full Gear, uh, Mm -hmm. our pre-pre-show, that you, uh, unfortunately, finally, your number was called Big Papa Rona. Yeah, Uh, I I got the Rona. And you're you're now officially negative. I was negative, yeah, I'm negative as of today. So obviously Uh, I had the Rona and didn't realise. Yeah. And now my my lovely wife has the Rona, which is not so good, but... uh, Yeah, apart from that, there's not much has happened in my life, Dave. I don't know what you're talking about. You've been going stir-crazy at home. I, and I don't know what you're talking about. I was saying this to a friend of the show, Obergruppenfuhrer Garrett Kidney, recently, mm. um, about how I think the only, after the last 24 hours, the only two groups of people I, I don't think you've annoyed are the Russo stands, which is definitely coming. Uh, later this year uh, the few of them that there are in this world and the Sasha stands Uh, I I, I will never ever say anything bad about Sasha yeah but yeah one because those are really scary people oh yeah and two and two because Sasha whips ass like Sasha's (laughs) Sasha's great like Sasha's like you know generational talent so like you know we're we're not necessarily going to say anything bad about her but uh what I'm alluding to, for those of you who don't follow us on uh, soon-to-be-deceased Twitter.com, uh, Lee decided to take it upon himself uh, out of boredom and, I don't know, insanity to draw the ire of the Cult of Cornet this week. I made a very valid point. Yes. What was and that point? That point is that in a, a mere matter of months, 
that AEW will have outlasted the extremely successful, mind you, according to some. So successful that it had to be shut down. Hmm. Um, Smoky Mountain Wrestling, which was, of course, run by Jim Cornette. Yeah. Who apparently just had to rub a couple of dimes together and he ran this company. Yeah. Um, It's interesting to me. Like, the thing, whenever, like, you know, we laugh about it on the show because, like, like, could we give a bollocks? But the thing that always tickles me are the amount of people that have very specific Twitter searches set up to mm. make themselves mad because you didn't say this in a reply to anybody. Nope. You didn't tag Cornette Nobody. Anybody. Or, or Brian Last or anybody in this. You just had this thought, which, like you said, perfectly fair, and you can read into... You can interpret what you said for what you will, and it ruins some people's days. It, oh, it ruined it, it ruined I, the Twitter notifications. Yeah, it ruined the twi- Twitter notifications for a while. I just muted all Twitter notifications. Um, I I, I said to Garrett, "Is like as soon as you got COVID, I muted the Twitter notifications because I knew you were going to do something this week." <laughs> well, I mean, Edge isn't on TV, so something about idle hands, blah 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 blah. Um, <laughs> it's funny like your tweet the next morning I'm going I love all these people that are so annoyed by Lee when he def- definitely sent this tweet and fell asleep yeah I-, I just picture you being like in the depths of COVID immediately forgetting you'd done the tweet and like falling asleep on in an armchair not a bit I swear to god not a bit I was lying on the couch sent a tweet I was watching I can't even remember I think I was watching Next Level Chef actually and uh, Sent a tweet, googled uh, Rick Rubin's Wikipedia page, sent a second tweet, fell asleep, woke up, looked at my phone, and was like, why have I so many Twitter notifications? <laughs> Couldn't understand, so with a blurry eye, I looked at him and, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I texted you straight away, apologising. It's one of, yeah, you did. Um, <laughs> It's one of the things that much as like, it, it, it it did tickle me like how annoyed people got by like a fairly innocuous thing and i'm not somebody that wants to like legislate twitter drama on a podcast but i will say it's one of the uh things that when twitter dies i will shed no tears because there's no form of social media that i mean seems to actively encourage people to seek out things that make them mad hmm uh, I think when you talk about like hobby stuff like professional wrestling or whatever, it's fun to have like discussions and disagreements and stuff like that. But there's something about Twitter set apart from anywhere else I've ever talked about wrestling on the internet that just fuels people to get so fucking mad about stuff. Um. Oh, but by the way, I want to shout out to uh, the had to be like four or five different people that like. Ha ha ha, he plugged his podcast afterwards. Yeah, we only picked up like three figures worth of fucking <laughs> listeners. It was like, it was, uh, it's a weird one. Uh, the one I always enjoy is the the guys who like uh, say how much they hate you and then either hit follow or put you on a list. Yeah. Um, we were put on a list called like idiots. Big, big stupid some... idiots or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> big stupid idiots. <laughs> it's like, all right, man, whatever, like. I think the last time I was putting a list, it was like people I wish were dead or something like that. Yeah, yeah, we we get those the odd time. Um, but I suppose that comes with the territory. Hey, look, let's change tack completely because I don't, 
uh, social media <laughs> oh, drama is so like oh yeah because we're not going to be talking about jim Cornette on this show yeah well yeah that's ironic you pointed out after the fact is that like this is the first ever time uh on the free feed that we've covered a uh, jim Cornette appearance on anything because obviously he's a presence on our rehash of the champion series because mm-hmm. he's he's still a big presence in the nwa but um yeah, this is our first time on the free feed talking about him and what an appropriate week. Genuinely, like Lee said, not a bit. This was not something that like... I cooked we, up. <laughs> yeah, you have been accused of that before that you do these as bits to like troll people and stuff like that. It's like, no, just genuine. I, I swear to you, having known him from six, for six years, this is just what Lee's like. Lee will just absentmindedly drop a grenade of a sentence into a conversation about professional wrestling and then just when like people start piping up he'll be like oh what <laughs> it's just it's just what he does like he just, doesn't even do it for his own entertainment like to do it for his own entertainment implies that he remembers he did it yeah like, like listen that's my fucking just what I do I just say things and I go yeah what, why why <laughs> yeah. like like that's your that's why your, is that like, funny that's that's your epitaph leave alone he just said things <laughs> anyway look let, let's change tack completely um from uh one horrible group of people to the Qataris the World Cup has started um this is the one speaking of social media the one time every you know four years or so where all the European people you follow become incredibly annoying unless you like football um, I thought you were going to say unless you're uh, Irish. Yeah, yeah. Um, how have you been? I like. I assume because you've been off work, you've been watching a lot of World Cup. Even yeah, watching not, it, watching a good bit of it. Some of it hasn't been great, to be honest. But no. uh, um, hey, listen, they're packing out them stadiums. Uh, oh, this is this is the main reason I wanted to bring it up. Like, if you haven't been following World Cup news, they are doing Vince at WrestleMania three levels of audience inflation. Come here, Manchester City have been doing it every second week for the last fucking five years. Yeah, it's like you're looking at, what was it the one, was it yesterday, the day before? 88,000. And it was like, it's like a 70-something thousand seater stadium and there was like a bunch of people dressed as chairs. Yeah, there was one that I think is like the capacity is like 70,000, it was announced at 74. Then there's the the main stadium, I think they have the capacity at 80. And for the Argentina game, they said it was 88,000. Tremendous, tremendous bit. I love it. Um, and in, in case you haven't noticed, uh, Twitter is full of Qatari, Qatari citizens um, defending all this stuff at the moment. What's interesting to me is that it seems like we're we're starting to approach a period that wrestling wrestling had that reckoning where a couple of years ago. A lot now, not a majority by any st- by any stretch, but like a lot of wrestling fans started to become more discerning about the kinds of companies they gave money to and supported because mm. of like uh, you know, various moral failings or crimes. Um, and it feels like we're sort of approaching that tipping point. It, with it feels football. like we're right on the precipice, yeah. Yeah, I think like the, the Saudis taking over Newcastle United in the Premier League was was one leg of it. The, the whole... I don't know if you saw. I love the tweet. There was like, "Geez, that Saudi Arabia kit looks really like the Newcastle kit." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the um, yeah, and and then this World Cup being like 
uh, awarded to Qatar and mm. all the human rights abuses and stuff like that has been it's been very interesting to see like again you wouldn't have seen this back in 78 when uh, the World Cup was held in Argentina yeah. which was under the cost of a military dictatorship at the time um, or in 2010 when it was like essentially bought by South Africa uh, but people when it went to Russia yeah, but people kind of liked South Africa, so they didn't really yeah. give out about it at the time. But people are starting to become a bit more aware of that kind of stuff. And I think, mm-hmm. like, it's just interesting to see the way it, it mirrors wrestling. And I will, another reason I want to bring this up is that if you've got time to kill and you have Netflix. I um, watched it the, this week. The Yes, yeah. I recommend to all listeners the four-part documentary that uh, Netflix just released on uh, FIFA, the governing organization of uh, of football. Uh, because you will find there are very few better pro wrestling type villains than Seth Blatter and Jack Warner. Um, just woeful men. Can, can I just say, there's a bit in it where one of the journalists um, quotes Jack Warner to his two children. You're on your own. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. It's, it's so fucking Vince McMahon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's the World Cup. I don't want to labor that point too much. Uh, in the pro wrestling world, before we, we get to it, I wanted to make a quick mention of, we did do the pre-pre-show um, on YouTube um, for Patreons only. And we will be, I think I'll be able to put up the archive of that on Patreon this week as well, um, if you missed it, where we kind of did our prediction show and our snack talk and, and hung out and, and chatted with... Um, any subscribers that were online at the time. Um, I had a great time doing it. Yeah, I loved um, it. How, yeah, how did you feel about your first pre-pre-show experience? And what did you think of Full Gear in general? Just kind of quick thoughts. Um, Really fun show. Um, I thought there was maybe one one match that really didn't deliver. Other than that, I thought the whole show was very, very good. One of the better shows of the year. Um, I'm intrigued about where they're going with a lot of stories. And that's exactly what I want in my wrestling. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I I would definitely agree. I think I didn't enjoy the build, uh, a lot mm-hmm. of the build um, for it, but I will say that, you know, I think pretty much the last time I watched a an AEW pay-per-view that I paid for that I was disappointed in was probably the, because they had the gall to charge international viewers for the first fight for the Fallen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that the one that was uh, Cody and Spears? Was it that one? Yeah, or was yeah, yeah, that was that one, yeah. Yeah, so that was like uh, that wasn't it wasn't bad, bad, but it was just like oh, I probably shouldn't have spent any money on this. Oh, one one thing I want to just touch on, um, for all the hand wringing over AEW creating stars, yeah, look at who they have in the finals of a tournament this week to get title shot. Yeah, two two people that are being pushed, and people online will complain ad nauseum. That they don't want these people to be pushed. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, they're, they're when, trying. When, when, when you're seeing people online complaining, just remember, yeah. they're never going to be happy anyway. Yeah, they're, they're like, I'm I'm super happy that they're trying. Yeah. Um, and it kind of like, you know, I was one of my arguments behind MJF winning the belt was just like, do it now, strike all the irons hot mm-hmm. and see if you can make this guy a next level star. And I mean, his, his, promo in the presser afterwards tells you that like this like if you didn't already know that this dude fucking gets it he's, he's the man yeah and and yeah. look the whole thing with jamie Hayer very much feels like they're 
they've abandoned whatever the long term story is to go you know what she's hot let's go with it they had to like just as much as it was obvious they had to go with with MJF it was just like you will if you wait even till the next pay-per-view you may miss the boat on Jamie Hayter so I'm glad they did because there's been a couple of opportunities they've had to go with people before where Tony has held off but it seems like he might have learned his lesson and let me just say I am very much interested in where this Bow Wow and Jade thing is going yeah that kind of like little bit of viral footage of them going like uh, John with each other at the press conference was it was interesting because it has uh, to his it ha- has to lead to him bringing somebody in. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think. Could he bring one of his cast members from uh, Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift in? <laughs> um, well, I can only hope that he brings the the Drift Kings. Somebody, somebody said that uh, Bow Wow was discovered or launched yeah. by. A certain other dog-based rapper. Mm, indeed, who is uh, a fan of the professional wrestling. Mm. Um, do you know what would be awesome? And I know this is going to pop our good friend Chris Damasano, is that if in reference to that cinematic classic, his entrance music is Teriyaki Boys. <laughs> I think that's what you got to do. This is just what you got to do. Um, Lee, before, before we go to the control center um, to hear what's been going on on the Patreon... I want to make a quick mention of, again, because like literally every morning I log on, I'm like, okay, has Elon killed Twitter yet? Um, so I want to mention um, a little little slice of the internet we've carved out for ourselves that we've been having some really fun chats on this week. And that's our channel on the Voices of Wrestling Discord. Yes. Um, I think you'll see us there a lot more now than we have been previously. Um, it's like I say, we've had plenty of great content in there this week um and of course just it's obviously it's an open discord so everyone's welcome to come in join in the conversation it if you want anecdotes of a young alan forel getting slightly saucy looking wrestling magazines from a news agent the days of thunder discord channel is the only place to be i will say that picture he put up i've never seen so much baby oil in one place (laughs) <laughs> and it wasn't on the wrestler you're thinking i'll tell you that much you're gonna have to check that one out but no it's it's been real fun and i think i'm gonna make a habit of logging on there as i'm watching the shows going mm. forward um at least throw in a few like i i don't like giving away the a material that we're going to talk about talk about in the show but like just some passing thoughts as i'm watching stuff and kind of i know there's uh, a few of our listeners uh alan is one aaron quinn is another mm-hmm who try to watch the shows along with us. So I think it's fun to be able to chat back and forth with them when they're watching these things, mm-hmm. which is cool. Sure. Uh, even though Alan is about like seven years behind. Hang on, yeah, it's November now, so you'll hear this sometime in May. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Happy New Year, Alan. <laughs> Let us be the first to wish you Happy New Year. Um. Right, okay, before we start on this special simulcast episode, Lee, because this is covering the 61st episode of Thunder, but also the debut of SmackDown, we need to go up to the uh, Days of Thunder Control Center and talk to one Staggerly Malone. Thanks, Dave. This is Dave from the Days of Thunder Control Center, here to tell you about what's been going on at our Patreon over at largemanappears.com. It's been a busy November already this month, Listeners on our Patreon have gotten 
rehash of the Champions 5, the same Valentine's Massacre. They've got a brand new episode of Pick Your Poison with Mark Robinson talking about the career of one Dino Machino Malenko. You've got a grab bag radio for the month where I talk about what I've been watching, my match of the year updates, different bits and pieces. You know, Snack Talk sometimes enters into it. We also had a live stream uh, on Full Gear Saturday, which is our pre-pre-show, talking snacks, predictions, and, you know, chatting with whoever was hanging out online on the night. Coming up ahead, we've got a bumper December for listeners to check out. It's, it's a month you're going to want to subscribe for because we have got not just one, not just two, not just three, but four podcasts coming to the Patreon feed across December. Of course, there will be a free one out of those four, which will be our second annual WWA crossover show with Garrett and Liam from You Gotta Be Kidding Me. Uh, in addition to that, we're kicking off season two of TRL, Thunder Request Live, where we take show requests from listeners that bump up to the TRL tier on Patreon. We're going to do a double barreled helping in December, our first two episodes, season two of TRL. I think our listeners have waited long enough for their season two episodes, so let's get two of them out the door as quickly as possible. In addition, we're going to be doing a Christmas wrestling roulette episode where we're going to put up a poll at the end of November um, that's going to be a choice for listeners between three Christmas-themed wrestling shows, and you guys get to vote and decide what you're going to put us through. Will it be something nice for us for christmas i don't know um our previous votes tell me maybe not so much but you can get all that on more and more you have solo audio from lee sometimes you have solo audio from me sometimes you have my monthly sheet updates we have our monthly show notes drop at the end of the month there is so much going on not only that but you've got our complete archives a minimum of two podcasts per month going all the way back to june of this year so there's plenty to get involved in if you fancy an early christmas present you should look no further than largemanappears.com now back to the lads rightly we kind of flipped the proverbial coin before this and we are gonna get smackdown out of the way first and i do mean that out of the way because holy fuck um i I was gonna say right off the top can i just say this is probably worse than any episode of thunder we've ever watched yeah like there have been more boring episodes of thunder but in terms of like objectionable i actively didn't like this this is maybe the worst show we've ever done i um i wrote uh when i was watching when i started thunder because I'd watched SmackDown the following night, I started watching Thunder, and we'll talk about the opening segment of Thunder um, in a bit, but I wrote that on the 29th of April, 1999, WWF and WCW conspired to stop people from watching wrestling. They put on two horrendous programs that night, and genuinely, Thunder wasn't great, but Thunder was like one of the best episodes of wrestling television I've ever seen compared to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes, this was a pilot, but holy fuck. If this was a pilot, it's fucking ended up in the ocean. That's mm. where this fucking plane has ended up. Yeah. Um, um I thought like I I grew up on the attitude era. Mm. Um I have no idea how any anybody, podcaster, fucking fan, anybody 
goes back and watches week to week this utter fucking trash that this yeah. company was putting out. How I, how they made millions upon millions in this era, I I don't know. I I have such respect for um the Adachira podcast boys because on their Patreon they do uh, kind of similar to uh Days of Thunder concert. They do a show called Smackdown Crawl where mm. they watch every episode of Smackdown. Um and yeah, I now granted like they will eventually get to the SmackDown Six era, so there is like unlike us where it like it starts off at a an okay level and just precipitously drops. At least they know there's going to be a spike in the quality of SmackDown mm. eventually. There's something to keep their sanity, but yeah, um, like the Raws, we've watched what one or two Raws? I think one or two we we crossed over before. We before on the free feed, and they were. Like not great, but there was like moments, there, individual there was moments. That, yeah, there was segments. that one or two segments that we knew we were gonna get. This was the most memorable segment on this show. Is memorable for all the wrong reasons, um, and you know we'll talk about that uh, in a bit. But yeah, so basically, Thunder had started a couple of years beforehand. WWF has now well overtaken WCW as number one and they got a chance to put on a network show again on UPN and this was the genesis of Smackdown Um, they got a pilot here in April of 99 which I think a lot of people do forget about because it starts I think when and we were talking to Aaron Quinn about this in the discord this week is like when you think of the debut of Smackdown you think about the Shawn Michaels special guest referee mm-hmm. smuggled banana pants um, episode um, that was essentially teasing a an HBK rock match that just never happens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so you think of that show, but y- a lot of people forget that they they shot this pilot and aired it in April. Um, that they obviously had done right after Raw because it's the Raw set, the Raw ropes. Um, the logo was incomplete. the 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 main thing they had from the presentation was the SmackDown music. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and we had a, just one of the most unusual commentary teams. Like you, how would you ever put these two guys together in Michael Cole and Jim Cornette? I I don't I don't understand. Like at this point, obviously Cole had been replaced again by yeah. JR, who was now back from another bout of uh, Bell's palsy. Yeah, he was he was out like up until I think it was WrestleMania. Like, wasn't, wasn't it late December through WrestleMania? He was gone. Yeah, it was. They were gone to England when it happened because wasn't it his mother died and it it flared That's what up it flared, Bell's yeah, palsy. Yeah, yeah. Um, the stress of it, and then he was gone until he came out to do. I think Austin he did Rock at Mania. Didn't was he at the Rumble? I can't remember if he was at the Rumble. No, he wasn't, because 99 was the Vince Rumble. That was Cole. Yeah. Yeah, so it was WrestleMania. He came out for the main event at WrestleMania, and then he was just back on Raw then. Yeah. Um, and, like, I'm not going to say, like, Michael Cole was definitely not... I, I think uh, we've said about Michael Cole before, like, I, I think people are very hard on Michael Cole. Mm-hmm. I think for an announcer with Vince McMahon in his headset, he is as fantastic as you possibly can be under those circumstances. Um. This was not peak Michael Cole. This was very unsure of himself. Not great Michael Cole. Um, but as we'll get to, and this may shock some people that were on our Twitter the last 24 hours, 
I thought at various points in this show, Jim Cornette was an excellent color man in terms of like I for this show, what I tried to put in my head was for a lot of people, this might be the first time that they're watching WWF because mm. it's um it's it's a network debut. You know, people who didn't have USA would be able to see this. And Cornette all night was at pains to point out the context of everything. What everybody like who like everybody who would appear in the ring or on the ramp who or backstage with, yeah. who they're associated with, who they're feuding with, why what you're seeing is important. Now, the actual booking let him down tremendously because he was trying to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, ultimately. But I thought fair play to Jim Cornette, much as I wouldn't have put this commentary team together in a million years, I think he did a very good job. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um Again, he's not someone I would try and put on my TV in 1999. He wouldn't be like the top five choices I'd have for a color man in 1999. Yeah. But yeah, look, it's obvious why he was put there because he's the experienced guy to put next to Cole to kind of carry him if he gets lost kind of thing. Yeah, the steady hand. Yeah. Um. Uh, let's rewind a little and talk about this. So this is SmackDown episode number one. It was in New Haven, Connecticut. 29th of April 1999 and it drew right we've been talking 32345 for thunder. thunder lately now obviously this is network tv more homes etc etc this did a monster 5.8 rating like just like that's astonishing yeah, watching that absolute fucking drivel when you think about how like WWE programming now is in like the ones and twos, um, it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. Um, so we get a video package first to let us know um what's happening. So there's a new corporate boss in town, and it's Shane McMahon. He's taken over the corporation, and what had happened on Raw this past week, or an hour ago, uh, <laughs> to the people in this building probably, um. The Rock has been kicked out of the corporation, having failed to reclaim his title from Steve Austin at Backlash. Did you? Do you remember? Do you have any many memories of Backlash '99? Because it was. It's so weird that we talk about the you know the trilogy of epic Austin Rock matches, but we do tend to forget that they just ran that match back straight away the following month after their WrestleMania match, their first one. Um, that was the second second WrestleMania match, wasn't it? No, 15, 17, 19. Oh, you're right. Sorry. I was thinking it was it was Austin's second year in a row. That many. Yeah. Um back I only just remember for the the Shane chair shot on on Rock. He does that awesome the the, the flying chair. Oh, the leaping yeah. the leaping dinger. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. and that's what ends up costing Rock, obviously. Um yeah. as far as I remember, like the, the backlash match is like far superior to the WrestleMania match? Yeah, it's pretty good. The main memory I have of Backlash 99 is that it ends on the cliffhanger of Where to, Stephanie? Was that the pay-per-view, was it? Yes, okay. yes, because it's then... So this is right after, so it's like... He does the Where to, Stephanie. I thought that was then, Raw. See. No, Raw was the Black Wedding, which was last week. That oh, was okay, the, right, That right, was the right. Raw after the pay-per-view. Um, yeah. 
you know, we talked about the Black Wedding already on, on the last episode of Days of Thunder. Um, but yeah, Shane's in charge of the Corpo now. Um, and if if you like the Corporation, I've got great news because they are all fucking over this show. NWO B-team vibes. But we do get... um The one angle in this that's quite interesting and I think is like truly fucked by the involvement of the corporation is I thought it was an interesting wrinkle to have Vince have to beg Austin to save his daughter. Mm -hmm. And I think you could have done an interesting twist on Vince is now beholden to To Austin, Austin, who is now the WWF champion. But like, you know, look, we'll talk about this corporation stuff as it comes. Um, I thought we were immediately onto a winner, Lee, uh, because after the video package, we get the SmackDown intro. Yeah. The original SmackDown intro. Which is just like, oh, it's just a, one of those pure hits of nostalgia, isn't it? I, I just think of the first SmackDown game, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, Again, the graphics aren't fully complete yet. I think they'd, they'd brighten and sharpen up the graphics by the time it would debut in the fall. Uh, properly as a series but you know most of the aesthetic in terms of the graphics and the, the video package there, and the theme yeah. music are there um we also unfortunately like i said it's the raw set and we don't have the the smackdown hoops and we're a long way away from the smackdown fist as well um so it is the raw set tinge blue cole and cornet are your announcers and first date, we've got Vince, Stephanie, and the cops. And this is a, the era that I like to call Deer in the Headlights, Stephanie, uh, where she just has the constant uh, gormless look of being very happy to be there. And she's trying to play the very innocent, cherubic uh, young girl. Mm-hmm. She's all of 23 at the time. Is that how young um, she was? Yeah. It's 22 or 23. I can't remember what month she's born in, but she's uh, yeah, 22 or 23 uh, at this stage. I can't think of Stephanie in this era without one. my bet, my best friend at, um, and he was obviously a fan at the time. And yeah. even to this day, he will still every now and again just go, Dad, Shane, how can you be so mean to me? Yeah. <laughs> like she was really, she got so much more comfortable uh on camera as like within a year yeah but like when she shows up as a character Uh, like it's it's borderline linda levels of delivery you know it's not quite as bad as linda but it's it's not far off but like trying trying to paint her as that innocent young girl probably didn't help things it's interesting because like for all the you know for all the memeing of vince doesn't give a shit about shane Shane had that performer's instinct in him that, like, Stephanie definitely had to graft harder at to learn. Whereas, like, not that Shane was a fully formed TV character, but, like, you even see him in this segment. He's so much more comfortable. He's incredibly comfortable, but maybe it's looking at at her with older eyes. But I watched him as he came down the ramp, like, multiple, multiple times on the show, doing the mean mug, and he's just... Yeah, do you know what it is? It's like I think he's good, but I think the role he's cast in isn't great for him. I think the role he'd end up in as like Simba the Giant Killer a year or two from now fits him a lot better than trying to trying to like be Vince Mark too. Yeah, instead instead um, of being Vince Jr., he was much better being the kind of yeah. the cool kind of comedic McMahon. Yeah. 
Because he's even got that thing that, like, I, I always forget when I go back to this period that Vince had where Vince used to be very loquacious and verbose. And Vince used to use big words mm -hmm. and, like, try to sound very intelligent. Before he became proper, like, genetic jackhammer unhinged, <laughs> he would say, he would try to sound very erudite mm. when he spoke. And Shane definitely does a bit of that. Um but he reminds me, like, when he's coming out in the suit here, that's not a great fitting suit. I was just, just going like, to say that, the suits. Dude, he's that picture of Nathan Fielder in the giant suit <laughs> coming around the corner. That's all I could think of. I don't, I don't know what it was. Like, not to go all fucking Simpsons and it was the fashion at the time, but... Yeah, the style at the time. Jesus, the fucking suits. You don't get the impression that these people are mega rich. Yeah, I know. It was, it was on this podcast, wasn't it, where we talked about zoot suits before? Yes, yeah, yeah. And so, like, the big suit jacket was back in the, the 90s, maybe partly because of the zoot suit thing, but, like, definitely when you'd see Vince and you'd see the Stooges, like, they would have enormous blazers on. Like, people weren't tailoring suits to fit, like, you know, um, tight on the body. It was definitely very big and very broad still. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, <laughs> before we even get to Shane... Um, Vince says he's made a lot of mistakes in the past. He's put business ahead of family. He's been, he acknowledges they all cut, they're all chanting asshole at him. He goes, yes, I have been that as well. He says he has a new outlook now that his daughter has been rescu rescued. He said, rest assured with this company, he's still going to be ruthless, but he's also going to stop, smell the roses and thank some people. Jesus, it's and mad that he could say all that in 1999, but yet in 2022, he couldn't just fucking admit to anything. Yeah, I know. He, um, I thought this was building us up for a swerve because he goes like through a list of people he wants to thank. And I thought it was like he was going to have buyer's remorse and be like, and I will not thank Stone Cold. But he thanks Ken Shamrock. He thanks Big Show. And then he finally thanks Stone Cold Steve Austin for helping Steph. Um, and then Steph also wants to thank all of them. Um, and this is already to me going on too long because you had Vince basically thank all three of these people and then her just parrot what he said. Uh, uh, hey, how about how about this fucking crowd? This will tell you the crowd at the time. Uh, Stephanie said she was stripped of all her clothes and the fans cheered. Yeah, the two biggest pops in the uh, like in this segment were for her saying that, uh, like you said, she got stripped of all her clothes. Against her will. Against her will. And then she says, The Undertaker wouldn't stop touching me. Yeah. And it got a huge pop as well. I was like, This is fucking. E even if those pops are added in in post, yeah. what the fuck? I don't think they were because it wasn't the vintage SmackDown <laughs> crowd sweetening noise. Yeah. That like literally no human crowd has ever made. Um, I think this was legit. Um, a legit pop for this. And... Sickening. The the thing that like I know what you're trying to go is like God how disturbing is it if they if they put in a pop because they wanted a pop for that but I think it's more disturbing just to think of the fact that like obviously Vince and Stephanie put together this promo where he's like no say this say he was touching you you know like just just a just a woeful man mm hmm. And look, we we don't need to re-legislate the long history of him putting Steph in angles that... The, the issues. Man has issues. I was watching, there was a while during um, lockdown where I started re-watching Smackdown 6 mm. era. And, um... Have you gotten to the Vince-Stephanie feud? No. 
but I did get to one that opens on a pic on, a, on an image of Steph's legs and it pans all the way up to her arse. Is that, that's when she announced the tag titles. Yeah, and I just rem- I remember that happening because I remember that being a, like a, in in school the following Monday all the lads being like <laughs> but something a context now as an adult I hadn't thought about before was just like Vince would have been in Gorilla like going yeah. What do you mean in Gorilla? He was in that room. Ah, yeah, he probably was. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Just really fucking cr- Jeez. Nah, oh. slow it down. By the way, can I can I just say, I was telling Lee before we started this podcast that just I sometimes stick wrestling on in the background as we're talking and I have Fully Loaded 2000 on and I'd forgotten Fully Loaded was the epic uh, Christian pretending to be uh, sick to get out of them defending the tag team titles so he's like throwing stuff into the toilet mm-hmm. pretending and, and Foley stands up over the toilet cubicle so I was really trying to stifle a laugh as I was talking about this um, wasn't fully loaded 2000 the triple main event it was yeah, yes great show. It's, a, it's a great pay-per-view um, so uh, Vince was very impressed when Steph had a line that she said Taker can burn in hell he has like the oh, face when she does that um Shane comes out with the new corporation. He said, does Vince not think the corporation would have been there for Steph? He tells Vince to shut his mouth. He said, have you grown a conscience overnight? Um, it makes it makes Shane sick that he's out here thanking Stone Cold Steve Austin. Personally, he doesn't give a rat's ass about either of them when it comes to business. Vince goes to step up to Shane, but Triple H and China, who have since WrestleMania joined the corporation... Mm-hmm. Uh, they step in front of Shane to protect him. Vince says, "One night, uh, I thought this was a good line. One day you'll be a man, but tonight you're acting like a petulant little boy." Um, Shane tells them to go home as the corporation escorts them out, and then that's when I realize it's like, "Oh boy, this segment is just going to keep going, isn't it?" Oh, it just kept going. Yeah, we have entered the twenty-minute talking segment opens every WWE TV show mm-hmm. era. Um, um, so we should we should we should remind people what what Shane's corporation consisted of. So when Vince started the corporation, it was Vince, Shane, The Rock, Ken, yeah, who was their big like The yeah. Rock was the big uh, turn to join the mm-hmm. corporation. Ken Shamrock, IC champ, big boss yeah. man who was tag champs with Ken Shamrock. Yeah, and Tests was the kind of muscle in the background. Yeah. The oh, former Motley Crue bouncer. And then Kane was the, the kind of un... He didn't want to be part of the corporation, but he was definitely in the corporation. Yeah. So a really good, interesting group. Shane's corporation is Triple H in China, the boss man, we, yeah. and the Mean Street Posse. Who, who like, look, we love the boss man. Oh, he was done at we this lo- point. We love the boss man, but he was toast. And he wasn't even the funny kind of toast. Like, it's later on this year where he has the incredible feud with the big show. Mm-hmm. And, and like, just where he just... His his character later on in this year into 2000 would be massive cunt. <laughs> he, kills, where he kills and cooks a dog later in the year. He kills and cooks Al Snow's dog, feeds it to him. Pepper. He, uh, <laughs> in one of the... In one, in one of the most incredible segments of television of all time, he gate crashes a funeral and 
drives off dragging the the coffin of Big Show's father as Big Show jumps and tries to hang on to the coffin. Mm-hmm. Like he's just incredible. And, and he then he gets wins. No, he never wins. <laughs> and then he'd get uh, then he'd get a sidekick in Bull Buchanan. Uh yeah, it was just a it's just a great era. Um <sighs> great era for the big boss. You know what? Like he managed to uh wring a couple of extra years out of paychecks of uh, segments like that. So fair play to him. But yeah, it's not a great and and Triple H and China just feel like totally not ready for main events. Totally not ready for main like and within a couple of months Triple H would be. Like mm-hmm. by the summer Triple H is kind of fucking undeniable. But like they just feel like uh we had nothing for them to do and also Shane's group needed extra people so fuck it yeah. right um and put them together it didn't feel like it had like and i don't think it had much more forethought but the the additions to the corporation later on in the show felt more like a okay they have a plan to put these two groups together rather than Oh, Triple H and China are sitting around catering. You guys go with Shane now. Um, but anyway, um, so he says Shane has two thorns in his side. Uh, the Rock and Stone Cold. Uh, tonight, they will team together for the first time against a team of his choosing. He asks for volunteers, all the volunteers in the room. And I just would have loved it because he goes around and goes, who wants to do it? And I would have loved it if he was like, e- Rodney. Uh, you're going to be in the team so he picks Triple H straight away and Triple H is celebrating and then he very much uh, I did like this because he just like he just overdid it where he's like is there any takers Uh, lights off dark sides dong Um, can we talk for a second about Undertaker's ministry music dark sides is the fucking it might have been the highlight of this entire show it's one of the best theme songs ever ever hands down no fucking it, it's incredible I love it and look there is a number of all timer theme songs for me on this show like we hear Ken Shamrock's theme briefly mm. which is one of my favourite Fed songs we hear do we hear D-Lo's music oh yeah you're looking at real it's, is it his proper yeah. music I can't remember yeah I couldn't remember uh, so yeah we get D-Lo Brown's music we get uh, Dark Side and we get of course I, I've always loved Mankind's music as well um, babyface mankind's music. Um, so yeah, we we get some real good ones on this show. Um, but yeah, Dark Side is a fucking oh, absolute tune. Yeah, incredible. Um, so Taker on screen cutting a very badly mic'd promo. Um, that the sound mixing is all over the place. He says Austin ruined. Yeah, he's annoyed that Austin ruined his grievous sexual assault of a twenty-three-year-old tied to a cross on live television. How dare he! Uh, Austin stuck his head in his business. Uh, Austin was the spoiler on Monday, but tonight he's the judge, jury, and executioner. So our match is set. It's going to be Triple H and Taker versus Austin and Rock in the main event. It's a pretty big match. One might say you should do it for a pay-per-view, but I guess like a pilot of the big new show you want to sell to a network is not a bad reason hmm. to to kind of like rush a, a money match. Next, we've got, and I feel this is like some preparation work for us for later on in 1999 in WCW. We see Double J backstairs with uh, Deborah, and they're looking for the Blue Blazer. Um, 
which leads us into our first match on the show, and it's the Blue Blazer with Deborah and Jeff Jarrett versus Val Venus. Val Venus, pornsman. Um, what like? <laughs> it's such a. It's such. Oh, I might, I might see like, where this question is going. Go on, what? It's like in this one match and segment, we get the two most cringily attitude era gimmicks of all time in Val Venus and the Godfather at the end of the segment. And it's funny because like, look, he's a woeful human being. We all know now uh, from his online presence. But like at the time, Val Venus was a guy who looked like a million dollars, could wrestle. And they stuck him with the most... A gimmick he could WWF never... WWF shotgun yeah. gimmick. He could never escape it. No. A, gi- no. a gimmick he tr- could never get away from. Twice or three times they tried to either soften the gimmick, no pun intended, um, or they tried to get him away from it, like when he's in uh, Right to Censor mm-hmm. um, and shit like that. Uh, but yeah, it's the most... Like, I, I can totally get why if you're Val, you're like, yeah, I'll do the character because like... That fucker got so much TV time during the peak of wrestling on television. And he's one of those, everybody remembers Val Venus. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So in that sense, yes. But like in terms of like, that guy was never getting a world title run as Val Venus. I mean, he got, you he, were... he got his big moments. Which big moments? He, he was in the ring when Rikishi jumped off a cage. That's, yeah, that's very true. <laughs> um, I do, I do love Michael as uh, Michael Cole as he's coming out, and he. This is something that commentary says a number of times over the peak of Alvinus's character, where they describe him as an alleged adult film star, as if that was something that wasn't evident by the everything about him <laughs> that he's an adult film star. Uh, not only that, but also like it wouldn't be very easy to prove if he was well, like what like a legend well, I mean, about he it he only mentions it in every promo that he's been every all, all his movies every promo yeah. and his like his entrance video are <laughs> literal porn skits yep uh, anyway deep sigh because Val is currently in a story with both Deborah, who is like I guess trying to seduce him, um, and Nicole Bass, who he is trying to flee from. Yeah. So Deborah basically, for her entire run, where she's not Mrs. Austin, yeah, is where she's not baking her cookies. It's totally oblivious to the fact that whatever wrestler wants to get with her. That that's the yeah. basis of her character the whole time. Is yeah. Jeff Jarrett is trying to stop somebody from taking her from him. Mm-hmm. And she's oblivious to this. Yeah. Um, Val does some horrendously strained innuendo about the Val Venus mutual fund. Uh, about, there's, you know, there's never early withdrawals. Ha 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 ha. Jeff, uh, Jeff comes out and he says he doesn't know where the blue blazer is, but he's the replacement. So before he's actually able to replace him in the match, uh, the blazer is out and sneak attacks Val and he's all over him. Lee, uh, look, we're wrestling fans. We actually enjoy good wrestling in spite of what we cover on this show usually. I don't think it'll come as a great gallop and shock that you and I both love Owen Hart. Um, 
what did you think at the time if you can cast your mind back to him going back to the blue blazer gimmick you know it's funny I like I said I grew up with the Attitude Era like Steve Stone Cold Steve Austin was like one of my favourite wrestlers of all time Mm. I have a photographic memory of a bunch of things that happened in this era, like from like 1997 on to like 2001, 2002 WWF. Mm. I don't have any memories of the Blue Blazer. I wonder. Because I, 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 I think I just... Yeah. I, I, I think that's the same because it was only towards the end. What, like, and I, I get that it was only a month or two or whatever. Yeah. But it's funny. Anytime I see any of these bits where it was like him and Jeff or whatever, mm-hmm. I may as well have never watched it. And I know for a yeah. fact I did. But do you know what as well is I find I can't watch these segments and not think about his death. Yeah, because I know this is it's kind of like when Louis Spicoli shows up at the start of Thunder Mm -hmm. and I know he dies really quickly after the start of Thunder. Mm -hmm. So every segment you see of Louis Spicoli and every segment I see of Blue Blazer in in 99, I'm just like, this is right before he dies. You know, and it just really takes it like there's you can try have the conversation on an intellectual level about like, this is a guy who should have been a world champion. This is a guy who should have been pushed to the moon. If, you know, people often say that, like, even though Vince didn't have him penned as world champion material, obviously because he put him back under this gimmick. But if he had stuck around for even a year longer, when Jericho and the radicals and stuff like that, he's he's going top of the card. Um, You can try and have that on an intellectual level, but fundamentally... And I'd be interested to hear from other people who've gone back to 1999 WWF, but I can't, I can't not get really bummed out seeing him as the Blazer. It's like, I really liked the promo he did after the match backstage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Look, this is a guy who is like incredibly funny guy. I really enjoyed it. And it was, it was so dumb and stupid and I laughed. Yeah. I just can't. I it, like it's it's weird it, it's so odd like I can sit and watch yeah. I couldn't when we, before we started the show I couldn't watch Chris Benoit match now yeah. I can gladly sit there and enjoy it and I kind of separate what yeah. he did with what he was before that mm. before he got really ill yeah. or had his yeah. brain damage um, yeah. I look at the the, the all stuff started Blue Blazer stuff like a month yeah. or two before his death and it just it it just it's just so fucking I don't know it's hard it is it, 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 it and, is and, hard and, and I think part of it is that like we can have that discussion that we've had before on the show when it comes to and I'm I'm loathe to talk about the two no and I'm not, I'm not side yeah, by side no, yeah not, that's not at all but what I mean it is a similar in as much as it's hard to detach the thing from the person and I think weirdly it's been easier for us to do it Benoit partly because we knew we had to um, because Benoit was going to be showing up left right and centre in WCW so we just kind of had to get along with it 
But I think because of what we know now about brain trauma and things like that, we can make, not make our peace, but we can kind of understand that it's like a different human being in mm-hmm. some ways. And and also, we're not seeing the victims of that tragedy on TV, whereas the Owen tragedy, Owen is the victim of a tragedy that befell him. And having to watch him knowing what's coming um, is really, really tough. Particularly in that, like, I can go back and watch, um, like, Brett versus Owen and, you know, earlier stuff um, of his and have a right old time. But there's something about this Blue Blazer run at the end that, because you know, like like I said, it's coming. I I have, like, picture book memory of uh, everything that went on at this point in the company. And this is just gone. It's just not there in my memory. Yeah, I'm the same. I think it's, and I think it's like, it is that. It's, it's I, I do, I do think it's, how... it's that first, it's the first instance of like real trauma as a fan. Yeah. yeah. And like, I'm sure there's someone that's fucking 15 years younger than I am that was watching WWF in 2000 or WWE in 2005 and can tell you mm-hmm. every pay-per-view match from every show but then, after Eddie does, it's just kind of yeah. like, the build up to all that has just gone out of memory. Look, I was a teenager when that mm-hmm. happened. Like, I was 14, 15, and I am quite spotty around the period just before and just after Eddie dies. Um, about, like, what's happening on TV and, and things like that. And, it, yeah, it is that. It's like the brain makes you forget that stuff because it, it's easier. Mm-hmm. It's... um. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like from that serious discussion, this is a fucking weird match to try and jump back into, but it's it, it follows the pattern of like it, what all the matches on this show are about. Like they're not about wrestling. They're about doing a couple of high spots, rakes of interference, and then it bleeds into something else that the segment's actually supposed to be about. Yeah. Like none of the matches like like I said, Val like Val could go. Do you know, yeah. Val could go. Owen but obviously standards of the time he could go. He by the standards of the time he could go, and he also like again he's a guy who would get a lot better to the point where like by the time he was released from WWE, people were like, like he's one of their better workers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Anyway, um, just the match it it it, it isn't up to much. Like, it, did you feel this about every match on this show felt like? We just need to pad a couple of minutes till we do the angle. Yeah, it was bell. Nothing happens. Bell. Yeah. Let's get to the angle. Yeah, yeah we have. Um, we want puppies. Chance directed at Deborah for the whole of the couple of minutes of this match, and then because this is ninety nine, she attempts to indulge him. She gets up on the the apron to distract Val by attempting to flash him. Um, but Val thinks too quick because um, Blazer is trying to sneak up behind him. Uh, he hits a fisherman suplex, a lovely looking one, but Jeff gets in, punts him right in the dick. Like, right in the dick. Uh, <laughs> DQ. Uh, or no, sorry, not DQ, because the referee is distracted, and then Blazer rolls him and wins. And then Nicole Bass comes out, Val Scarpers. Um, and then the Godfather comes out, because Jeff apparently, because again, 1999, Jeff lost Deborah in a match. With the Godfather, now he has to be one of Godfather's hoes, and Jeff is refusing to let that happen. Um, he attacks Jeff and Owen, but eventually the Numberkey's game uh, adds up on him. Uh, can I go back to you? One of the most 
And they have a lot over this period of time. One of the most embarrassing angles of all time. Uh, talk to me about any memories you might have of the whole bass stuff. Uh, yeah, not good. Um, that was just fucking typical WWF stuff, wasn't it? It was just like horrible, exploitive. Just gonna exploit and. Like I know she went out. She had a lot of problems in her personal life. Um, yeah. Like legitimately, a a, a top tier bodybuilder of her generation mm-hmm. from like the eighties and the nineties. Um, she's won a lot of bodybuilding titles, and they just like like I said exploitative is the best way to describe it. They just. Mm. Yeah, the way the way she was treated on television was fucking abhorrent, to be honest. Uh unfortunately passed away a few years ago. Mm-hmm. She from the steroid use and the bodybuilding, she had a lot of health issues. Um she got pancreatitis Oof. from overusing steroids, uh, among other things. Um Yeah. Um horrible just like puts a again it's one of many things during this period that puts a a bad taste in your mouth i think like some of the crude uh overly sexualized content on this uh on on wwf at the time you kind of do the whole different era kind of stuff but like this is one of those like the the cold bass and a few other things they do where i'm just like how can there have been a time in living memory where people didn't feel bad about doing this? Yeah, it, it's like I, I, I find it very strange to go back and look at stuff like this. Like, like I said, I, yeah. I grew up watching this. Like, I absolutely, I'm so glad that when I was growing up, we didn't have smartphones and yeah, fucking instant access to the internet, like mm. at the tip of our fingers, because the way like kids spoke to each other wasn't good yeah. so no. seeing stuff like this didn't help no and yeah just it, not fucking it's not good and it's not stuff that I would want to go back and rewatch no um, and that, that's the thing that like there's there's still gems to pick out from WCW there's like either good matches or interesting things we've all forgot about but like genuinely because the in this period before like the mid card gets that huge injection of talent over the end of 99, start of 2000, like during this period, the no part of the card is you occasionally get a main event like with Austin and Rock or something like that. That's really good. But other than that, you have a lot of incredibly poorly aged things, which WCW has a lot of incredibly poorly aged things as well, but less chance for there to be redeeming wrestling on it mm-hmm. to make it worth going back to. Um, Next up, we have The Rock pacing backstage. He's going to make a couple of ass clowns famous again, he says. Uh, Kevin Kelly, who's all over this show, is with the Blue Blazer. Uh, I love this, like, where he's trying to get him to talk about how he's Owen Hart. And he goes, have you seen Owen Hart? I'm looking for him too. Uh, He says, there is too much cleavage on TV these days, which is very, very funny. Um, And that everything is deplorable. And the WWF needs a superhero. Um... That's actually, um, you know, the, one of the things we were talking about in the Discord this week was the kind of stuff that, like I said, because we were all teenagers and it was, a, you know, quaint at a different time, we were talking about how the, just like, the 
who was it? Alan's generation was the Terry Runnels mm-hmm. generation of just like Hall of Fame under boob. <laughs> and then like me being a little younger, like for, for the lads of our generation, it was like the Tories of the world Tor- who Tories were just like the Tories and leaders. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just like, it really is like, I I felt like I watched this show and it was from 200 years ago. You know what I mean? But anyway, like, let's not harp on that point too much more. Singles match. We get the Big Show versus Test. Um, it's interesting to be able to catch up with Big Show again. So this is like just over two months into his run, having jumped from WCW. He's already torn three times. Um, He's what? already torn three times. Yeah. He, uh, he, he started that long streak of turning. Uh, he's a babyface at the moment. Um, they haven't completely buried and ditched him as a concept yet. Like, he's still floating around some of the big names, but he's, uh, yeah. Cor- Cornette puts him over how big he is, saying that you could pass a silver dollar through his wedding ring, which I thought was a, a mm. good bit. Um,. Test is no longer a member of the corporation either. Yeah, so we get told that Test was kicked out of the corporation on Monday. And hmm. we should say the bell rings in this. And the camera literally switches to the boss man who's halfway down the ramp. Yeah. He's halfway down the ramp when the bell rings. So again, following that trend, like matches don't really exist in this. Um, Now, in this match though, we get what you thought was the best single moment on this entire mm-hmm. show. And I'd be inclined to agree, Lee. And that is a, a big boy dropkick. Holy fuck. It's one of them things when you forget that the big show could actually move. Yeah, fucking big show had I here. And he fucking nails test with a dropkick. Looked awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was really, really good. And also, also sh- I want to say that his chokes I'm should always have been known as the showstopper. Yeah, yeah. I even wrote shows that I even write choke slam, mm-hmm. and like, ah, oh God, it's it's one of my favorite choke slams. Just holding the and like, Test is a big fucking boy, and he holds that guy up there one handed for what felt like forever. Um, it's an unbelievable choke slam. Um, then Bossman goes for so yeah, yeah, great little squash. Uh, Bossman back in, but he backs off. Show he doesn't want none of that. Bossman goes for test and then show runs him out of dodge. Um, the Rock is here. And this is interesting. Like, uh, we all knew that people were ready now to cheer The Rock. <laughs> but this is one week after he's dumped out of the corporation. And this is like, this is already the number one B baby face of the yeah. company. Like. They're already doing the single along with The Rock thing. Yeah. And it's funny because it's like, it actually takes him aback. Yeah, he gets point, caught. Yeah, I'll yeah, mention yeah. that. So he says on Monday, oh yeah, this is like, he, he says on Monday, Shane and Triple H checked directly into the SmackDown hotel. And when he called them Rudy Poo candy asses, he like had to stop himself in the middle because everybody started shouting it. Um, He wants Stone Cold to know that they're, even though they're in team tonight, he won't hesitate to go for him if he gets in his business. Stone Cold comes out, and I love this. Like, he goes to, like, his four corners to, you know, uh, taunt the crowd, pose for his photos. And every time he passes by the flips rock in off. the ring, he flips yeah, him off. Brilliant. Uh, it's just, like, classic Stone Cold. Um, he starts trash-talking. And just as I thought we were going to get a nice Rock Austin segment, fucking Shane 
comes out again. Mm-hmm. And when he came out on the stage, I immediately had one of those horrifying, the pit of your stomach flashbacks because I knew what was about to happen. And this is the thing that I remember this show more for than anything else. And that is the foundationally of the corporate ministry. Which I will say this, Lee. Great name. Great name. Awful song. Great name. Awful song. That mashup song they had was fucking horrendous. Just do Dark Side. Yeah. Just do Dark Side. It's perfect. No notes. Um so it's it's all the it's all of Shane's new corporation dorks and all the mystery of darkness who are majority dorks. So it's Midian, Viscera and the Acolytes, basically, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Who like the acolytes? They're not like they, they still not, weren't the acolytes, though. They still weren't the acolyte acolytes, yeah. so they are kind of dorks, but not the level of dork, obviously, that Viscera or or Midian are. That's for yeah. damn sure. So it's um, basically it's the official merging of the corporate ministry. Yeah, Midian is such a non-entity on this show. The two of us went back and forth as to whether he actually he was on this wasn't. show. He he definitely was. Is the thing. Um. And then uh, my favorite part of this whole promo that I remember all these years later is they formed the corporate ministry. And Shane has this weird line delivery where he's like, so you better change your strategy. <laughs> it's like just, where he just put a little extra sauce on those three words and I don't know why he did that. <laughs> but you know what? I, I appreciate it. Um, Kane backstage with Kevin Kelly. Uh, Kane and pa- X-Pac, should I say. Uh, Kane lost it last week when he saw his own blood. So they're doing this thing where, like, he's a monster, a being of pure rage, and he just. But acts he is a on monster. Instinct. We know that for sure. Yeah, and sometimes, uh, but enough about uh, Mayor Kane. Um, but the yeah, he sometimes lashes out with his own partner. Now they're tag team champions as mm. well, and like again, it's one of those things I completely memory hold. Is like I loved Kane and X Pac. I thought they were great, a great team, yeah. like a great odd team but like I also would have said in the back of my head that they're one of those teams that they never got the run <laughs> oh no I knew they were champs I like I remember them falling out and stuff like that you know the end of their thing and I, I maybe it's because it's characterized by like the end of their run was them trying to get back to that and they didn't get the run towards the end they just split yeah because towards the end they did the whole is X, Xbox thinks he's the weak link kind of thing because Undertaker yeah. and Big Show keep beating the piss out of him yeah and the whole um him falling in love with Tori yeah. And then X-Pac going with Tori and, and stuff like that. So that's what I remember more. So it was like a delight to see them with the tag belts. Um, cool tag. But Pac says, look, tonight is going to be chaotic anyway. And yeah, he doesn't know what's going to happen. But basically, we're just going to fucking do it anyway. Um, Then we get D'Lo Brown with Ivory versus Prince Albert. And can I just say, to credit the woman to no end that Ivory has the best physique in this entire roster. <laughs> like, I came out and I was like, that woman is ripped to yeah, fucking shreds. Right. And not in a, not in a, like, ballooned up on steroids no. sort of way. In as like, Just that fit. is, that's a fucking athlete. Yeah. She, she, I'd I'd say she, like, did, she did, she looked great. Uh, this is the thing. I often go back and watch, like, a, a, an actual air show or something. And I'll see yeah. Dilo and Ivory together. 
over the span of a couple of years, they seem to just keep going back. I, I've no idea why. Why did they keep putting these two together? Yeah. I don't know. But I, I, I was a big D'Lo Brown yeah, fan. Big fan. And I, I, I think Ivory, like, it sucks that she came around when she did. Mm-hmm. But I think she really, a lot of the time, made the most out of what she was given. Um. I have, it's funny, like, because for the age I was, you would swear this wasn't my lasting memory, but whenever they do those stupid, like, degrading bikini contests and stuff like that, instead of me as a child remembering that, like, ooh, all I'd remember is, like, the incredible running bit of how fucking annoyed Ivory visibly was to ever be associated with any of those segments. Like, was it the Miss Rumble one where she comes out in the big fucking parka? Oh god, I can't remember. For and she's like really like just not arse taken off the jacket, like she doesn't want to. Um, so I appreciate that, and obviously her right to censor run, brilliant, incredible, yeah. incredible character work. Um, even though like if you listen to people talk about it, it was um at least partly a rib based on how annoying she apparently was. Really, I never heard that. She, okay, yeah, because she's I don't know if you've ever like seen a shoot interview rant with Ivory, but like she's one of those like so chatty, like you know those people that are so chatty and bubbly and just never stop to the oh, point where it will them. definitely yeah, yeah, annoy yeah, people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, she seems like one of those like where she just never stops talking. She's always full of beans. Um, and yeah, that's what some people, I don't know if it was like confirmed or just people at the time speculated that it was like a rib because they found her annoying. Um, sounds like something that company would do. All right. Yeah. Um, Cole makes a fair point, uh, during this match where, uh, and it just points out, and this is like, cause obviously Russo is still here and the idea of, uh, logic in storytelling uh, is completely absent because Cole is just putting two and two together and he's like, if um the merger happened tonight, does that mean that Shane knew about his sister being abducted, assaulted, and possibly wed off to the guy he was just about to merge with? Like, I appreciated that it was essentially just Michael Cole going, hey, everything you just saw doesn't make sense. Well... At least Vince won't be around for too long for Cole to kind of keep poking holes in his... Oh, no. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, no. Obviously not. Uh, also, I, my main point about this match before we get to the finish. D'Lo rocks. Love D'Lo. Love D'Lo so much. Um, First ever uh, Eurocontinental champion. Yes. Um, Albert causes a DQ. Yeah. A couple of minutes into this. Um, he hits a really cool uh, a move that I think more Haas type wrestlers should do, which is the uh, gorilla press into a sit out uh, power slam. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that a bunch. Um, and then he gets the the tattoo needle out. Ivory scarpers to the back, and I was like, is she just fucking abandoning him? When all of a sudden, who should return but sexy chalk himself, Mark Henry, in. Like, I know we talk about his salmon suit from his turn on John Cena, but the lime green oh, number from this beautiful. segment was close. Yeah. Um, So, uh, and this is, again, you want to talk about a lovely memory of times past. Um, The D'Lo, Mark Henry, Best Buds tag team. How many times I was they a big break fan up of. and fucking reunite? So many times, but you know what? The reuniting always got a pop out of me. I love these to two be fair, they together. They could fucking reunite on, on Dynamite this week and 
and pop. Oh, holy shit. I would do. I would totally be down for that. Um, New Age Outlaws promo. So, you know, there's, <laughs> they're never, annoyed. Never reunites. <laughs> yeah, they're annoyed. They don't have the belts anymore. Um, But I completely stopped paying attention right at the start because Road Dog calls Kevin Kelly double K. And I was like, I'm not having that. They're, no, they're not annoyed. Billy's annoyed. Oh, yeah. Billy, sorry. Billy's annoyed. Whereas Road Dog is like, hey, man, it's you know. He's our friend. Yeah. Um. World Tag Team title match, Kane and X-Pac versus New Age Outlaws. So, yeah, one of the things uh, that they mentioned in the interview and one of the things that they mention uh, a lot in this match for while it lasts is how weird it is that, like, these three guys were all in DX together. Kane is kind of the other person. Um, and is it weird that they're wrestling their friend for the tag team titles? Um, and this is where I noticed how good Cornette was because he gives the context of all that mm-hmm. shit. In about 30 seconds. Um, Billy, all business in this match. He doesn't want to do the shtick. He won't even do his part of the promo. Thank God. Because I hate that promo. Um, <laughs> I, look, I, and I was like, okay, do you remember like Kane when Kane could move a bit? Um, and like in 99, motherfuckers out here doing leg drops yeah. in matches. When the fucker would hardly ever even go down to his knees in matches towards the end. Um, Billy tries to oh my god the worst f- flare flip bump in the corner of all time by Billy Gunn he didn't even get halfway up absolutely fucked should it should say matter of weeks away from his big singles push Billy Gunn yeah um, Shake Rattler yeah because he would be the king of the ring yes. very soon Um, Shake Rattle and Roll I forgot how close to the ropes he used to be when he did that so it was like there's barely any time for people to pop for it, which is good because fuck that guy. Um, Kane sits up, goozles Road Dog, boots Billy, goozles X Pac because he's confused again. Then Billy attacks him. Uh, Corny is saying Kane just reacts on instinct, doesn't recognize friend from foe. Uh, Famouser nearly gets Kane, but Pac breaks it up. Billy goes to press slam Pac, but yeah, so Billy goes to, he gets him up for a gorilla press and uh, he's like kicked in the leg or chop blocked or something and he collapses and Xbox falls on top of him and they win which is like a fucking Awful weird finish. Um, Kane stands still staring like he doesn't know what's going on. Um, And then we have uh, Stone Cold backstage assembling his knee. Um, New Age Outlaws doing a breakup angle then. Uh, they're shouting at each other and Billy Gunn is pissed and he appears to be completely done with Road Dog. Then we get... Oh yes, speaking of all-time great theme music. Firstly, we get Doc Hendricks in the ring. Uh, AKA Michael P.S. Hayes for mm-hmm. anybody that... like. There was this insistence on him being Doc Hendricks, even though like several times they included to him on commentary, they they referred to him as yeah. Michael P.S. Hayes, formerly of the Freebirds. Um, Cornette gets it in as soon as he can on this show. Do you know what that is? That's but, because everyone else in the company is like, Vince, you're a fucking idiot. Everyone knows it's Michael Hayes. Yeah. Yes. Is it like you can't, there are very few people that you could mistake for Michael P.S. Hayes. Standing in Make here, shave like a fucking, his fucking mustache in front of you to prove yeah. he wants a job. Him standing in there like an ivory dealer who's recently fallen on some hard times, um, and he summons the brood. One of 
the greatest theme songs of all time. Do you know what I need? I need Taz and Excalibur on commentary singing the brood song. Yeah, I can totally hear um, Taz in my head going, Bwah! (laughs) Yeah. Him and his boy Broodman Jones. Him him singing Carry On My Wayward Son at the weekend was great. Unbelievable. Um, So they come out and I look... I this had to have been a gag from Cornette. Cornette calls him three of the brightest young talents in the sport. Gangrel was fucking thirty, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he then, also says they have a cult following. Yes, then they get on the microphone and Lee. This was one of the worst promos I've ever seen in I my life. I don't know life. what you're talking about. I think this is Ed's best promo of his life. <laughs> I knew you were going to say something. I was like, like this is. I was watching yes. this going, this is fucking vin- vindication for Lee Malone. This is. When he when he gets voted into the uh, Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, I want people to remember this promo. Oh. Why, first of all, why does Gangrel just sound like a dude? Yeah, it's so disappointing Like that he's like a full on like, vampire. Oh yeah, and then he can say, like, hey, hey, hey guys. <laughs> Such a just a like sounds like just a pleasant young man, um, yeah. He gets an awful promo, and then Edge steps in, and his is just as bad. Then they, as well as Cornette, they call Doc Michael as yeah. well. So then the brood lights go down. They've obviously been watching their fiend tapes, for the flashing red lights. They beat him down. The lights come up, and he's covered in blood. Well. What they, is it they, about Vince Russo? They very politely got out of the ring first so the blood wouldn't get on yeah. the ring, man. What is it about Vince Russo dropping blood on people from a height? Um, I I mean, it, like, it speaks to some deep psychological shit I don't think I want to get into. This show is already running long enough. Um, We then get... Uh, Shamrock in his jorts he's big mad at Bradshaw he said he was born on the streets he's going to break his legs his arms and his spirit which leads us into Ken Shamrock versus Bradshaw which is just brawl just imagine Ken Shamrock versus Bradshaw that's the match I'd say Ken Shamrock in his t-shirt and jean shorts looks like Jamie Noble Jamie Noble's older brother (laughs) yeah I'll give you that Uh, gotta just single out the one spot I want to talk about is uh Shamrock hitting a chop block. You gotta love a chop block in a professional wrestling match. Um, so Ken uh, eventually gets a baseball bat and gets in a choke using the bat. Um, Bradshaw passes out. Tim White can't break the choke, so a team of officials come out. Shamrock snaps and beats up, in particular, Sergeant Slaughter with a baseball bat. Uh, Kevin Kelly and Mankind in the boiler room next. He says he was thinking about calling the match off tonight. He says he, he explains that he enjoys the ambience of the boiler room. And he says he's going to shove this sock down the boss man's throat. Uh, I, one thing I liked about this segment is you could hear the distant sounds of uh, Billy shouting looking for Xbox still. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we get uh, a brief corporate ministry rah-rah speech, which is where I finally spotted Midian cross-legged on the floor while they're Definitely talking. wasn't there. Uh, Mankind versus Bossman uh, Mankind goes for Socko early and Bossman is having none of it but Test runs out throws him back in nearly gets rolled up 
Big Show out now to throw the boss man in again. Mandible Claw for the win. That is pretty much everything that happens in this match, except it somehow took about four minutes to do all that. Almost time for the union, Dave. That's all I'll say. I know. Uh, Billy finds and attacks X-Pac backstage. Kane just kind of looms by and lets it happen. Um, and then we get our main event, tag team match. Steve Austin and The Rock versus Undertaker and Triple H with China, Paul Bear, Pete Gass, Rodney and Shane McMahon. Um, Rock is alone at first. Like this is the classic Austin thing where he shows up late to get his own additional pop. Uh, the heels surround Rock, stomping him in the corner. Glass breaks, people go nuts. Triple H runs up to head him off, but Austin starts brawling with him outside. Then he goes in to go after Taker. Tez press. Triple H makes the save. Gets the heat on Austin. Taker and Rock in now. Uh, one thing I've always liked about Undertaker, even before his banger matches at WrestleMania era, was his uh, I Love Undertaker's running big boy DDT. Yep. Great uh, always been a fan of that. Uh, just like, speak, you know, The Rock, he doesn't do it in this match, but I've always loved The Rock's float over DDT. Um, just love a good DDT what can I say uh, crowd is really behind Rock again that is something that I'm noticing like a week into the proper full throated babyface push and these people were beyond yeah, but ready don't forget for they were like ready for him in late 98 mm-hmm. um, Triple H stops a rock bottom which sends Austin in after him and then the corporate ministry in for a DQ <sighs> Test Shamrock and Big Show into even the odds. Babyface is clear house of the duds. Rock pairs off with Triple H as they brawl into the crowd. This thing just keeps going. Uh, Austin and Taker fight in the crowd. Uh, or in the ring, sorry. Uh, Chokeslam from Taker. Shane tries to get a chair to Taker. Vince comes out. He knocks out Shane. He tries to save Austin. But then he... Vince eats... One of the most disgusting, unprotected chair shots that I've seen done to somebody who isn't Mick Foley. Mm-hmm. Like, this was a proper brain-scrambling yeah, chair shot. Horrible, horrible, horrible. The, it was one of those where we've all heard the chair shots where there's just the dense noise. Everyone remembers the one at Survivor Series 03. Yeah. Isn't that the one where take our brains them? Yeah, yeah. There's one as well. Isn't there one the in Sean the, the Sean? Yeah. yeah. He has taken a fair few of these fucking things over the years, but this is, this is right this up there. This has to be one of the worst, yeah. It was, in, it was an insane share shot. David, David Absolutely was insane. One. Yeah. Um, Taker, Taker blesses Vince and then walks into a stunner. Shane runs in um, to get his licks in on Vince, but then he realizes Austin is out there. Tries to run, but Austin won't let go of him. Hits the stunner. Time to pour out some beers. And he pours one on top of Vince for his homie. Um, Absolutely dog shit episode of TV. But again, I think it's one of those because the show started with a segment that had The Rock in it and ended with a segment that had um a stunner and a beer bash people went home happy weirdly it, it's mad in hindsight when you think of like er, the big knock on wcw is every show ended with lol nwo stand hall yeah every episode of wwf television ended up with lol the mcmahon's get their ass kicked yeah yeah or how you know how's austin gonna yeah. get out of this one? that that it, you know? it, it, it's not like the other side was this fucking ingenious. It's just that. Yeah. 
it's it, it, they all both companies had about three ideas. Mm-hmm. It's just at this time, it it it's when you're it, the hot it, people you're the wanted hot to. Yeah, it's it's the, we've brought it up before. It's the thing Meltzer says in the um the forward for Death WCW when a when a company is hot. There's almost nothing they can do that will ruin that hot streak. But when a wrestling company is cold, there's almost nothing you can do to get people mm-hmm. back. Um, and it's just that WWF made the stars when they took had the opportunity, and WCW didn't. Yeah. Yes. It's that is simple. Um, yeah, it's God. Uh, yeah, this is like I'm so glad I don't have to go back and watch this now that I'm I'm just done, and I'm glad we did that also, first. WWF had one thing WCW didn't. One person that made all the difference in, in hindsight. Mick yeah. Foley. Yeah. Um, it's something that... God, maybe I will tease it on here if people were interested. We've talked about it. We've talked about... We've not talked about it on the mm-hmm. air. I've talked to you about it. I have talked about doing a Patreon series, whether it's the two of us or whether it's a solo project. That's kind of like a long form, not quite audio documentary, but like a long form look at the history of Mick Foley as a kingmaker in professional wrestling. The people he had the big spectacular match that established a guy, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it was mind games whether it was the, you know, the the feud with Triple H, the the match with The Rock. Hell, the, in 92, he feuded with Sting so he could toughen up Sting. With Sting. Fucking, um, God, who, like, Orton's on the list. Um, fucking even, oh, God, like, like, he was already a legend, but, like, even in, um, he comes back to make Edge, you know, when he's long past his sell-by date. And then sticks around in WWF that year and feuds with uh, Ric Flair and like the <laughs> bonus feud we get for, we get him making Edge and then having the uh, like uh, like I loved Foley's Isn't heel that turn. The Molina fucking yeah, but that's also like where he has in one of the great lines of all time in a Mick Foley promo. He tries to start a long live the Alliance chant. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, look, if if people, and it's something we'll throw out at some stage for 2023, um, a Patreon series on Mick Foley specifically as a, as a kingmaker, that's something we have in the works. If people want us to bring that forward and do it soon, uh, we'll, you encourage us and we'll get the skids mm-hmm. under us. But anyway, let's cross back to more familiar climbs, my friend. Thunder, episode 61 from Penn State. Um, again, 29th of April, 1999. Um, this got a 3.5 rating. This, this had to be live, wasn't it? Yes. So this was live, but SmackDown was mm-hmm. taped. Interesting, because obviously it's usually the flip reverse. Um, where you've got Nitro doing the uncontested, uh, first hour and trying to get an advantage in on WWF and... This is going back to the bad old days of like taped programming versus li- uh, live WCW. Um, so the opening segment here, like I said, we had a, an absolute fucking snoozer of a promo segment to kick off SmackDown. But holy shit, I nearly turned this Thunder program right awfully because it opened with a, with 
footage, new footage from the asylum. And I was livid. The first five minutes of the show is flaring the asylum. And like, because it was supposed to be a 72 hour hold. They kept saying that last mm-hmm. week. And I'm like, he's still fucking yeah. here. It's just like, it, um, it's, sorry, it's the, the opening of the show and flaring the asylum is the first five minutes. And like you say, it's fresh footage. So is he still there? Is he and, not still there? And it, and it serves absolutely no. no purpose. It builds nothing. It's literally just something they thought was funny, which is Flair in his underwear with the patients singing She'll Be Coming Around yeah. the Mountain. This is Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. Couldn't, couldn't think of couldn't anyway, think anything better to do with this man. It's not only Ric Flair. This is the, pre- the kayfabe president of the mm-hmm. company. Tanae introduces the show and then throws back to a video package of the asylum. And at this stage, I thought that you had somehow hacked into my feed and were pranking me somehow. I thought I was being punked. Um, it ah oh god, I was so livid. Um, the only highlight, the only thing that entertained me in this video package, I don't know if you caught it. It was the bit where Mean Gene is reading out the contract. And the contract um, that Piper got arranged, he refers to him as Roderick, Roderick yes, Piper. Yes, Roderick Piper. <laughs> I, I, I was like, okay, okay. That, that got me. So, this is genuinely one of the worst openings for TV mm-hmm. program of all time. Like, if I was watching this in 99, I would have shut this off. Or I would have gone over to SmackDown, been even more appalled, and just not watched wrestling that night, or maybe for the rest of my life. <laughs> they talk about the WCW fans who just disappeared in 2001. I think a lot of them left yeah. in just 99. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Tanae introduces the show for a second time, and at this point I'm sitting on the couch going, did I die? Is this my circle of hell? Am I just going to be stuck in this Groundhog Day situation of Tanae constantly introducing, introducing an episode of Thunder and then going back to a video package of Flair in the Asylum? Holy shit. The two big names being promoted on this show is we're going to see Nash and we're going to see Diamond Dallas Page. Um, Larry, uh, who has, um, as you mentioned, recently taken over as a full-time commentator, uh, color commentator on Thunder. Uh, he's a former Penn State student, so the reaction to Larry here is even bigger than usual. Um, he's in his Penn State sweater, of course, for a cheap pop, and he gets up and gets his heroes welcome. Next I, up, I want. I wonder get... if anybody hit that Larry with the door. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> could somebody, if somebody, if somebody listening is decently artistic, could we get a picture? Of Kenny Omega clutching Larry's Saving Abisco Larry's Abisco in the locker room. Running him away from a fight. A big kind of cartoonish <laughs> fight. I would like that. Um, so, Lee, sometimes... Imagine you're in a in a desert. You know the kind of desert that, like, um, Undertaker and Big Show drove out to on their hogs that time? <laughs> you mean Death Valley? Yes. And... You've been walking for hours in the heat. You think it might be the end for you. And suddenly you see like an oasis of water. Okay. That was this opening match. After two hours of horrible on, Smackdown. You Smackdown in one sitting? Oh, yes. <laughs> it took me six. After two hours of a horrible Smackdown. 
and then the following night sitting down and being essentially gaslit by the first 10 minutes of this show. <laughs> we just get a television title match between Booker T and Kurt Hennig. And I was so happy. I have, and I, I gotta say, I will mention some things that happened in this match. But I am not a reliable reviewer for this match. Because I was so happy just to have two men wrestle and get time. And so much time they went through a commercial break. I was just so happy that like if you if like if we did star ratings on this show, I like and I know I'd be insane, I would give it five stars. Because <laughs> it even has a fuck finish. I didn't care, Lee, because men actually wrestled on this wrestling program. I had, again, remember, I had seen, to this point, about two hours and 15 minutes of some of the worst shit I've ever seen in my life. And then we just got a match with one of my favourites and a guy who, look, he's definitely on this sharp decline, but has been useful in certain, mm-hmm. you know, roles he's played on our run. And And they just had a good little match. It wasn't it wasn't anything revelatory. They just wrestled. I have to say, I watched this after you had kind of put this match over in the Discord. And yeah. I was so disappointed. <laughs> I just, I thought, oh, Kurt Henning and Booker T. It's a fun TV yeah. match. It should be decent. Um, yeah. I think this is now the Kurt Henning that everyone thinks of when they think of 1999 Kurt Henning. Um, mm. this latest injury seems to have definitely taken a step away from him. Yeah. What he does though in this match, what again, like he can't go with the clip he did. Like you said, the injury has taken away from him. But something he conclusively does in this match is make Booker T look like a million dollars. Like y- you have got multiple periods at the start of this match where he can't live with Booker's offense and you have the the veteran the vastly experienced Kurt Hennig can't deal with this young television mm-hmm. champion. On the third time of trying to get something out of Booker, he comes in um, after the, the break. Uh, sorry, Booker drags him in by the hair. This is after they've gone through the break and um, Booker is gets a cheap shot from Hennig. Uh, Hennig now feeling his oats immediately. He's hitting jabs while Booker's on the ropes. And this is one of the big pops I got of the matches. Like, he's hitting jabs to try and weaken Booker. Uh, Booker comes out at him and he's like, right, fucker, let's box. And throws up the hands. Uh, and they, they box for a couple of seconds. He hits lefts and rights. And one thing Hennig, like, regardless of his physical condition, is always good at doing is, like taking a bump off a strike where he somehow goes from the center of the ring to the floor outside in one swift movement. And he definitely does that here. Um, Tanae mentions there are rumors uh, afoot backstage that Booker has been offered a space in the NWO. If you've been watching since, uh, or if you've been listening to the show since last week, you'll have remembered that Stevie Ray has been coming out to help Booker T um, the last couple of fair, shows. I'm not sure how reliable and... Mike Tanae is on this because... I'm still waiting for Mike today to get an injury update on Booker from yeah, like, um, yeah, I'm still waiting for him to figure out who uh, hit Randy Savage in, in <laughs> with the yellow, with yellow the Hulk Hogan color car that had H Hogan on <laughs> yeah, the license yeah. yeah, um. So yeah, rumors that Booker was offered a space in the NWO. Uh, Larry, every time this is brought up throughout the show, is just like Booker wouldn't do that. 
He's very insistent on that. Um, Hennig back in charge, being methodical, keeping Booker pinned into the corners. Booker keeps looking like he might fire up. Um, I And I got to say, this is one of the times where there's a sleeper spot. But the the job Larry does, this is like, for some reason, when sleeper holds happen, Larry lights up and tells just a very dramatic story about a sleeper. And something about the way he does it and the way these two guys sell the, the long sleeper spot actually made it very entertaining. Yeah, Larry thought. breaks down the difference between a sleeper and then a, a side headlock, which the, the move transitions yeah. into. And I, Yeah, talks about his positioning and about him trying to weight mm-hmm. it as well. Just did. That's where you really like a color commentator to come alive. Um, using the ropes for leverage, Booker gets up to his feet. Uh, elbow break, the sleeper, but he's weak. Hennig then hits a gorgeous pile driver for a two count. Uh, Booker floats over Hennig in the corner. Super kick, whips to the other corner. Clothesline, axe kick, standing side kick. Again, it's one of those moments where you're getting really excited because you're seeing Booker piece mm-hmm. all this stuff together. Um, to become the kind of like the modern singles main eventer that he should be. Um, Booker goes up for the drop kick, but Stevie comes out and hits Hennig with the slapjack for the DQ. Booker's pissed and so am I, I wrote. Uh, because this was Billy, like literally just five more seconds and this match ends very satisfactorily. Um, and this again, if the whole thing is Stevie is trying to tempt Booker to join... He's come out and he's attacked an opponent in a match Booker was already winning. Um, so already the the narrative they're trying to sow here just doesn't make any sense. Um, good match till the video till the finish, and then goddamn yeah, it, just more, it's more um, like yeah, let's let's have time to feel to get to the angle. Yeah, uh, we get a, a video package about how cool Kevin Nash is, and then uh, Hackstity are here. Um, Hack says that he showed everyone he's the most extreme wrestler of all time he called out Bam Bam he beat him um, he beat him and Raven should I say uh, he beat Goldberg within an inch of his career uh, which like Tanay was incensed by that allegation yeah, I think it's at that point <laughs> Tanay just that. decides that Hack is delusional yeah he turns to the woman he describes as hey beautiful sexy girlfriend little, little sexy uh, girlfriend which is, Little sexy girlfriend uh, to pick his next opponent. She names one person in his ear. And this is like just him burying the roster because she whispers one name and he's like, no, he's too fat and smelly. And then the next one, no, no, he's too, he's way too old. And he said he wants it big. Harrowing. Uh, so she gets the microphone and is like, you want it big? And he goes, yeah, I want it big. How about big sexy? And he says, okay, big sexy. Well, whatever little sexy wants, little sexy gets. And that is a line I never in my life wanted to hear Hardcore Hack say. But I, <laughs> I have thought you were going to say that is a line I've heard many times in my life. <laughs> <laughs> People say that to me all the time. <laughs> and I was just thinking to myself, going, um, Jesus, fucking tell you what. Uh, <laughs> that gets up to some different things. <laughs> <laughs> that is people's business, yeah. Um... They ask Nash uh, if he's man enough for the challenge tonight, and we will find out in due course. Uh, Booker and Rick Steiner have... uh, Sorry, Booker and Rick Steiner's jorts have a brawl backstage. This is a big week for jorts between uh, Rick Steiner and Ken Shamrock. Um, We then get a Goldberg is cool video. Uh, Then we get... uh, 
a, a segment that a couple of a couple of moments I was like this is an all timer comedy segment on Thunder and then like it just keeps getting ruined because he can't help himself mm-hmm. Buff comes out as Scott Steiner and immediately I'm roaring laughing because it's a 10 star job on the oh, wig yeah. top top quality they've done a wig that is kind of reminiscent of Scott Steiner but Scott Steiner if he was in a boy band it looks like they had one blonde wig backstage and they did yeah. what they could to fashion it into a Scott Steiner-esque. Yeah. His, his Scott impression is pretty is. good. Like, the voice doesn't sound like him, but he gets the character very At well. At one point, I thought he was trying to do a lisp to add to it. Yeah. He, like, he'll do a great line or two, and then he'll, like, do something where you're like, oh, you did not, like, he does the kind of, he buries Detroit sports, and you're like, oh, like, oh, boring. Uh, he does the he does the close your eyes bit, which is like uh, it was really funny until he like goes straight into like really stupid humor and calls himself the big bad doo doo yeah. daddy. He has a much better pun later. Uh, he said he was made. <laughs> I did like this. This felt like it was a little bit real. Where he was talking about him. Firstly, he was slagging him off saying that he stays at a Motel 6. And he was saying, you're sitting there in your motel. Or I'm sitting there in my Motel 6. And then this is the line that I think maybe cut close to the bone. Where he goes, I'm watching BET to steal more of my lines from rappers. Which is definitely, I bet Scott was not pleased with that. And then he signs off with, of course, the immortal catchphrase we all know and love. Big Papa Dump is an idiot. (laughs) Which, like, if he had just ended there, I would have loved it. But then he kind of fucks it a little bit by saying, flush me if you hear me. I Like, the pig, big papa jump is an idiot. Yeah, How? funny. It was just the add-on that wasn't yeah. necessary. Yeah, it was like he got three quarters of a way to a really good segment and then just couldn't help himself. Um... Next match, Stevie Ray with Horace and Vincent versus Jerry Flynn. Uh, Hang on, with Horace, Vincent, Brian Adams and Scott Norton, they're all there. Yes, true. They're all, the whole B-team is there. Uh, Larry, again, brings up how he very much doubts that Booker would ever entertain the NWO offer. Uh, Stevie, punch kick special till Jerry attempts a cross arm breaker. Um, Vincent distracts as Horace breaks that up and then Jerry is taken outside and the B-team all attack him. Um... Tanae gets word through the headset that Nash has accepted the hack challenge and it will be next. Jerry fires up a little, does a spinning back fist and a spin kick, takes out Horace and Vincent, but Stevie boots him and hits a really gnarly looking slapjack for the win. I really Um, hate that the slapjack is the weapon and the slapjack is also his finisher. Yeah, it's... come on. (laughs) Yeah, I don't like that either. Uh, The thing I don't like as well is they're like... They were sort of trying for a while to establish Stevie Ray as something. Mm-hmm. Like, not a main eventer, but as something. But you just had him need the help of four other men to beat Jerry Flynn. Jerry Flynn's a tough tough like there, Dave. I don't know what you're talking about. But <laughs> There are ways you can get heat on Stevie without having to do that. But it's, like, the only way they know how to get heat mm-hmm. on people. And it's, I, I want to say, Stevie Ray is fucking huge at this point yeah like I mean he looks like a main eventer he doesn't wrestle no. or act like one but he, he looks like one massive 
Uh, we get an ad for WCW Saturday Night uh, with the brand new graphics. It's now in a nightclub, People, It's at some sort of fucking rave. Um, it's that rave from the start of The Matrix where he follows the fu- white rabbit. Um, we've got Hoovy, Nobs, Benoit, Malenko, and Buff on Saturday Night. Ho- Ho- uh, next Nobs. up, we have we have a hardcore match that I when I saw this on the card, I immediately took to Twitter and took the piss out of this. Uh, and this was Hack versus Kevin Nash. Kevin Nash, because I was like, "How is this match real?" And you know what? It was kind of good. It was better than anything that was on SmackDown. I'll tell tell you that for fucking sure. It was like it wasn't a mat classic. It was a hardcore this match. Was Kev- Kevin Nash know? doing a Sandman match. But you know what? I really I did, I enjoyed, enjoyed it. I myself. It yeah, and like I, when I took the piss out of it. Um, Shout her out for a third time. Aaron Quinn um mentioned in the Discord, it's like, oh, that match is great. And I was just like, is this just the the Aaron Quinn running bit of talking about how two absolute donkeys from the WCW roster had a great match? Then we watch it, and we're like, this shit. <laughs> but once again, Aaron was right. I think the the other one I remember very much the is Vincent. that Aaron was a very was a very early co promoter of my favorite. The Giant versus Meng No Bumps mm. match. She, she very much got on my bandwagon yes, with but that. She, al- and I she remain... also enjoyed Vincent versus, well, I think it was Stevie, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, we, we all we all make mistakes. But that, that Giant versus Meng match is untouchable. Five stars. <laughs> you heard it here first. Uh, so Nash goes ham with the kendo stick on Hack immediately. Um, which I love. It's like Hack was definitely like, I oh, yeah, just fucking lace it in, pal. It's grand. Uh, he does some posing then, does his knees of doom, grabs the ladder. I shouted, do a flip at my TV as soon as he grabbed the ladder. Uh, does a sidewalk slam, slam on the ladder. Not as good as a flip. Uh, Hack is, I'll tell you what, on this night, Hack was the smartest man in professional Bumper wrestling. Booker. He sold like you would not believe for this man. <laughs> this man knew who was booking television. And you know what? Fair play to him. Fair actually, play to him. For it. I actually, do the are same. we coming up on that infamous episode of Thunder? Or is that 2000 after... You're you're going to have to narrow it down when you say an infamous a- After Nash Thunder. has been booking for a while. We only have a couple of months left in his reign. Yeah. The one where he, he fires himself and talks about it on commentary. Yeah, because... The... Isn't that pre... We we haven't. Is that the episode where he's wearing the glittery turban? Yes, he's calling himself the the Grand yes. Wizard. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. That that's <sighs> pre pre yes, mayhem. All ahead of it? us. Yeah, I think so. That's all ahead of us. Um. So Nash whips him into the corner. He does the, the flip bump into the ladder, which looks like it sucked. Nash sets up the table in the corner. Now goes to do it again. Whip reversed, and in the biggest surprise of the whole match. Nash took a bump through a table. Now look, it was like he literally he, he went stumbled into it. down yeah, yeah, yeah. in slow motion on his shoulder, stumbled through it. But like, I still was surprised. Yeah, that he did I, it. I, I, I thought it was, I was just like, going to be a squash match. Yeah, I thought this was going to be Nash isn't leaving his feet for this match. Um, Hack tees off with the cane, include the cane, including one that hits him right on the fucking bounce, right on the top of the head. Um, puts the ladder on top of Nash completely whiffs a slingshot sent on and then panics and just elbow drops the ladder. And then Larry goes, he elbow dropped the ladder. Why would you do that? 
<laughs> yeah, and and he, you could clearly see he fucked himself up doing it. Like it actually, like obviously, must have caught him on the point of the elbow. Cause he's like, oh fuck, he's got like a dead arm. Um, he's not that I good. Ha- at I, I have hack. to say, hack is just so your da. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 100%. He fucks up the somersault or the, the slingshot and it's just like shit, 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 elbow drop. <laughs> yeah. Without even thinking about his elbow. Uh, he props up the ladder and whips Nash into it again. Hack is too confident and Nash hits a desperation diving cane shot at him. Um, Hack recovers the stick, beats him up again, chokes Nash and puts the ladder on him, then does a senton off the top on top of the ladder. And I am at this point astonished as to how much of this match Nash is giving him. I, I think these two had to be drinking buddies at this point. Them, yeah, they would have to be. Uh, Chastity comes in with the fire extinguisher. Uh, Nash grabs it off her, sprays hack, jackknife through a table, and okay. a win. Very enjoyable little Really match. fun match. The part that really blew me away is... Nash is no more than like half a foot away from uh, Hack when he sprays him in the face with that fucking fire extinguisher. That had to fucking yeah. hurt. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it had to like be chillburns. Yeah, yeah. It it can't have been. It can't. But have let been me just say, I would imagine a night out with Kevin Nash, Sandman, and Raven in nineteen ninety nine had to be something fucking epic. Yeah. It would be like you would struggle to actually survive the night. And hopefully um, Disco wasn't avoided. But, yeah. but again, just a very fun yeah. encounter um, that I wasn't this, expecting. This is one and of these matches look, that we, we we do this show for. Like matches that nobody talks about. Yeah. Yeah, this is exactly. This is what we do it for. Uh, these are just the pleasant little gems mm-hmm. of experiences we have. Um, what have we got next here? Bam- so Bammer we've interview. got. Ah, uh, yes. Um, so uh, Gene is in the ring. He wants to make it seem like Joe Paterno is in the building as well as others. He calls out Bam Bam, who comes out with his chair. They're really pushing the King of Hardcore mm-hmm. thing lately. Um, he wants to talk about history. He mentions Asbury Park. He gets booed. He says he'd figure, uh, was it? He figured he'd beef out tonight a bit. Um, he says him and Paige grew up on the Jersey Shore together, Asbury Park, and he challenges DDP tonight. That's basically what he's driving at. Is like me and DDP have a past, and uh, I want to challenge him tonight. Um, could have said it about half the time. Could have said it backstage. Eight up TV time, and that's probably what the goal was. Uh, next up, we have Goldberg versus Meng. Um, this is the first encounter of theirs we have seen. This was the touring Goldberg match on the house shows at the time. They would have, I think, I think I looked at some cage match. I think they have two more televised matches, singles with each other after this, but this might be the last one we see. Um, but also at the same time, I don't know if this is if you feel this way, Lee. I feel like I've seen this match four or five times. I was just going to say, this is the first time we've seen it. I was like, no, it's not. I've definitely seen yeah. these two rest each other. Yeah, it, it's weird. Uh, I think we've definitely seen him wrestle Barb. And maybe that's what it is that Meng was involved when he wrestled Barb. But uh, yeah. Um, go, there was a sign that really dates this show that said Goldberg speared Kenny. Uh both men start off the match by no-selling scoop slams. 
Goldberg clotheslines Meng. He rolls out of the ring. Meng gets the heat for a minute before Goldberg gets annoyed and slams him to the ground. Um, chops to the head from Meng. Knife edge chops in the corner that just seem to annoy Goldberg. Uh, Meng boots him low and keeps chopping. Forearm smash, super kick. Goldberg finally gets his opportunity at a standing sidekick, then smashes him in with a spear. Jack Hammer and wins. Uh, Meng, again, not one to sell past 3.1. Um, before Goldberg's music even starts at the ring of the bell, he's already rolling out with a ring I have to say, one thing I noticed on this show in particular is, like, ever gone to a wrestling show, and you know, like, when somebody loses, they kind of sell until they get to the back. Yeah. Not WCW wrestlers. Like, as soon as no. the, you'd get that, what I call the thunder shot, where the camera pans out as it's going to a break after a match. Yeah. You see the wrestler that just lost. It's like halfway down the aisle. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. Not selling. <laughs> just walking. No, they, yeah, they've clocked out now. They've clocked out now. Done. Yeah. Um. DDP is now out with Gene. Uh, Tanae gives us a regular Hogan update and I just thought it was really funny that you're talking about uh, injury updates earlier on where we can't fucking move for the Hogan updates and I was like Hogan had fucking rice pudding this morning and fucking Tanae is making an update out of it um, DDP believes in thanking people which is funny because like we're coming from Vince thanking people on the first show to this so he wants to thank Jody Hamilton Jake the Snake and Dusty Rhodes for helping him hit this level of greatness. Just interesting that he would mention Jake the mm. Snake at this period of time on WCW television. Um, he also wants to thank the people that feel sick looking at him with that belt. He is... What's brilliant is Gene this whole time is trying to ask yeah, one question. Just, are you going to have the match? Are you going to have the match with Bam Bam? And he ignores it three or four times and Gene gets proper thick with him about it. Um, eventually he goes, yeah, I'll get to that. And then he does and says he accepts the challenge because that's what Toddy would want. Is that like he said something like Toddy that? Or, I don't know. Yeah, whatever it was. Yeah. Something that wasn't um, explained. DDP, DDP, by the way, I was watching this on the big screen in my house and DDP obviously hit the tanning beds real hard that week, baby, because he was looking red to the point of being scaly. <laughs> um... That man needed some after sun in a Can't big bad way. Then we get a fucking horrible professional wrestling match. Okay, first of all, how do you not advertise that you have this man wrestling? Yes. Maybe it's because you knew who he that, was wrestling and you didn't want to get people excited. The, point. the man has just returned. He hasn't had an actual match yeah. yet. Yeah, Randy Savage's first proper match. Uh, him with Gorgeous George, Medusa, and Miss Madness versus The Disciple. Can, can I just say, I have mad respect for Macho Man Randy Savage making his gimmick, I'm surrounded by beautiful blonde women. And I don't even take off my yeah. sunglasses for a while. Because that, that was getting me at first, as they did like the opening grapple exchanges, and he was just still in his glasses, the point where like, was it Larry was just like, he's, he hasn't even taken mm-hmm. them off yet, like, what the hell? Um... I really haven't written a lot about oh, the this. Sucks. There's rest oh, holds. Sorry. It's it's periods of punch kick separated by rest holds. The crowd, which had been pretty good, brutally mm-hmm. murdered. You could hear people blink. That's how quiet it was uh, about two-thirds of the way through this match. Um, crowd does, again, it's an entrances and finishers night, so when he gets up and does the elbow, 
people do celebrate. I did, I did enjoy the elbow and then getting up and just putting his foot. Yeah. One foot pin. Yeah. And then celebrates with the women. I'll say it again. We mentioned it um, when she debuted. But Miss Madness, if I didn't know that that was mm-hmm. Molly, looks like an entirely fucking different human being. Looks about 10 years older than when she showed up in WWF. It, it's that whole thing of, like, in WWF, they were trying to make her look like the innocent Holly kind of thing. It's it's all yeah. appearance. Um, yeah. And, and and it's also the they have her with the tied up mom hair of the nineties uh, in WCW, you know the, yeah. the sable hair. Um, yeah, this was just this was like this is criminally bad. I do like, think Mato still comes across as a huge star. Yeah. Oh no, yeah, hundred percent. Like I don't. He, he I, now I, I going, like he he is absolutely washed, done. You cannot yeah. do anything more with yeah. this man. And and I do think as well, this isn't exactly going to be one of those nights where he's inspired by who he's across no. the ring from to put in an effort. Nor would mm-hmm. I be. <laughs> um, but that doesn't mean we enjoyed it anymore with those caveats. Um, we get uh, our main event next, which is the WCW World Heavyweight title, Falls Count Anywhere match, DDP versus Bam Bam. Uh, Bam Bam bro- brings out his bin of crap. Uh, they start a slugfest early, which I loved. I love when, uh, like, a Falls Count Anywhere match doesn't start with grapples. It starts with a fucking hockey fight. Um, DDP loses that slugfest. Back in, runs into a gorilla press onto the ropes. Walk and brawl starts as we go to break. We get back and they're up the ramp. Um, and Bam Bam is hitting him with trash can lids and a cooler. Um... He goes to, there's a table, a catering table in front yeah, of the commentary booth. And Tanae is yeah, so t- I was just going to say, Tanae says it's the commentator's uh, catering table. And you do see like bagels or something of some kind kind of gone flying. Um, uh, and you see uh, what somehow remains on the table is a mm-hmm. bunch of bananas, which get stuck under Paige's arse when they're doing these spots. I, I was just going to say, I was at that point, I wanted Tanae to go full Kent Brockman. And just say, no, I'm not going on here without my uh, Danish. Yeah. Um, so he puts a, he puts Paige on the catering table plus bananas, lays Paige out, dives, but uh, Paige gets off the table just in time. Shatters, uh, DDP shatters a glass bowl on Bam Bam's head for a two count. Uh, Bam Bam drops. The, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. This is amazing. Uh, when uh, they were coming back to the ring, Bam Bam just picked up and fucked the giant plastic bin oh, at his head. Like that had to hurt. He does. Uh, he does a diving headbutt for two. We get a ref bump. Uh, Bam Bam blocks a cutter attempt. Bam Bam gets a power slam for a two count. He signals for the greetings from Asbury Park. Pushes Page to the corner. Gets a suplex for two. Then he goes for the greetings, but Paige counters it with a cutter. Then Savage comes out, hits the elbow, Paige covers for the win. Like, again, this was another, it was the second match on the show where a guy was winning a match and then someone came out to help him, not when he was losing the match. I don't know. Um, He, he covers for the win. And obviously because, it, like you said, Savage is a huge star and they've been so weird with booking Paige as a, a heel that they clearly piped in booze uh, upon the bell ringing in this match because people didn't boo. Um, 
But yeah, very... I enjoyed... You know, I think I enjoyed Hack and Nash more. But, like, the BB... Bam Bam Bigelow and DDP match was pretty was fine, fun yeah. right until the end. Um, yeah, it was a fine show. I think the big takeaway for me is that watching WCW week to week is so much more enjoyable than watching WWF at the time. Um, obviously, that yeah. doesn't last. Um, the common denominator being Vince Russo was part of one show, then becomes part of the other. Yeah. That's not to say that WCW doesn't have its massive fucking problems at this point. It does. It's yeah. just I I'd like to, I don't know when next we're gonna go over and do a WWF show, but I'm not looking forward to whenever it may be because man is my yeah. is my nostalgia for that era of WWF just gone at this point. Yeah, for this period I don't have a lot. Now, when we get to two thousand we may be desperately seeking excuses to jump over because 2000 kind of rocks. Um, but anyway, we're, we're like 2000, who was it? It was one of, uh, it was Mark, Mark Robinson when he was on Pick Your Poison was talking about how in 2000, every WWF pay-per-view was fucking great except yeah. for WrestleMania. <laughs> a great in <laughs> like, Incredible. Incredible. Um, again, like I said, I've been watching Fully Loaded in the background here, and it's just rocks. Mm-hmm. So good. Um, anyway, Lee, you've kind of... One of my questions at the end was going to be which show won the war this week for you, but I think we know Thunder yeah. won this time, and not just because of our biases. But within Thunder, I'm going to ask you the usual questions. What did you think of the show overall? Winners and losers. Um, It's, a, it's that odd thing of... The show wasn't great, but I, I enjoyed it. And I don't know if it's that comparison to what's on the other side, or if it was just mm. one of those shows that kind of breezed by for me. Um, I think Kevin Ash just looks cool coming out and doing a fucking hardcore match. I don't know. Maybe it's just so different. That's why he looks good. Yeah. Um, I don't think anyone actually comes out any better or worse than they were. DDP. DDP no. aside from like the weird heel thing he's doing, um, yeah, it's kind of it feels like a holding pattern yeah. week. No one, no one like goes up or down in my like if I was to rank where everyone's star is in the, the company. The, the big takeaways are Henning after this injury seems to be done, and Savage is absolutely one hundred percent done. Yeah, yeah. But will still be prominent parts of television for quite a while. Um, right. Thanks very much for that, Lee. Um, our finish counter brought to you by Ludwig Borga. Fourth Thunder has six matches, two clean finishes, one DQ, and three interference leading directly to a finish. How many um, more Thunders have we got before the pay per view? It's another one, isn't it? Yeah. I think one. Yeah. Um. So, thank you all very much for tuning in to a bumper episode of Dave's Thunder, uh, a simulcast edition. Um, We hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode, uh, presumably our go-home show for the pay-per-view. Until then, uh, stay safe. Just before you sign off, one thing. One one thing. Oh, Oh, here he is. He's got one more thing. It's like an an E3 press conference. Fuck Jim Cornette. Okay. (laughs) Ha ha! We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. 
Thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder was produced by Lee Malone and edited by me, Dave Ryan. Keep up to date with the show and find all the ways to listen to us. You can follow us on Twitter at WCWThunderPod or click the Linktree link in our Twitter bio or in the show notes. I am at the day to Dave on Twitter and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. Days of Thunder is a part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Follow the VOW network anywhere. Good podcasts are sold for more fine podcasts than you can shake a stick at. Thanks. Cheering at pro wrestling shows in Japan is back, and 2023 is already shaping up to be a big year in the history of pro res. That's why you should listen to the Emerald Flow Show. From the Royal Road to the Green Mat, Paul and Gerard take you into the world of all Japan pro wrestling and pro wrestling NOAA. Not only do we analyze events, but we examine business, who is getting over, what angles are working, or not. Occasionally, we take a look at other Japanese promotions like DDT and Zero One. So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network, available on all of your favorite podcast apps.